This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. My guest today is Congressman Michael Waltz. We talked last year, right before the withdrawal from Afghanistan. We talked about his book right here, Warrior Diplomat. He is a Army Special Forces soldier and officer and uh, also worked in policy. So he worked in Washington, D.C., in that bureaucracy, and then went downrange at that tactical level and led troops in battle. So he's an amazing guy, uh, congressman from Florida, and he has written a new book, Dawn of the Brave, and it's a series. It's a book right here, children's book series, and it is awesome because it's not just a story. Uh, it then, at the end, has missions and uh, and lessons from those missions. So uh, very cool. Dawn of the Brave, Mike Waltz. You can find it at bravebooks.com. We talk about that on this podcast. We talk about Afghanistan and the state of the nation. Now, without further ado, Mike Waltz. Hey, hey, what's happening? Well, guess what? You are the first. Uh, you're the first Zoom I've done in my home studio. Oh, so nice. You nice. You're down in Florida right now? But yours is looking a little cooler than mine. <laughs> and you look a little more relaxed. I do. I do. Look, little, yeah. Little t-shirt today. Uh, but we do. Yeah. I got, have some things in here. I have some, a lot of army representation in here. I'm not sure if you can see it or not, but uh, I'm not sure what view you have. But uh, I got a little Hooten Young whiskey over here. So we got a Delta guy there. Um, yep. Norm Hooten, uh, horse soldier bourbon yeah, up there. Got some, yeah, SF representation yep, there. Got uh, black rifle coffee, of course, SF representation, oh, yeah. army representation yeah. there. Uh, but then we switch it over. Now I got a little war paw wine and that's uh, that's seal stuff right there. Um, the Hooten young cigars also over there. So they get, they get double billing have uh, what else do I have over here? Have uh, my dive knife from Buds, my Mark One Motto Navy dive knife over there, uh, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna put you a, give you a, a Yarborough knife on oh, uh, consignment Ooh. on consignment. I know I'm all about that. I mean, did you yeah. get that issued to you? Did you get that when you finished Q course? Did they yeah, get, did they yeah, give you those? Yeah, I got to finish Q course. They're numbered. The whole the whole thing. That's really cool. Yeah. I think we started. We might have stolen that from you guys because eventually we started doing that, and I can't remember when. It was well after I graduated, Buds. Um, probably around, let's say 2004, five, six timeframe, but they started, oh, so you got robbed. Well, <laughs> I did, I did. I should have held off a few more years, gone through in my thirties, <laughs> uh, just so I could get that knife. But, uh, yeah, right. they was pretty cool. They'd give these knives and they were all, um, uh, I forget if they had a number on them, but they had the name of a seal from somewhere from world war two, Korea, Vietnam, somewhere along the That's line who had passed away. And, um, uh, and then you got to learn about that seal and then you would go to Fort Rosecrans National Cemetery, and that's where they would do the cemetery or do the do the ceremony. And they would give you your blade, and then you would read about what your uh, what the person whose name is attached to your blade about his history and how he died and all that sort of thing. So, oh, that's um, strong. That's kind of taking it. Yeah, yeah. that's that's kind of taking the next level. We just had a a serial number, and you know they. They threw it at us and said, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all learned about Yarborough, which right. was the first um, kind of real Green Beret general in the modern Green Berets after OSS. But um, 
but yeah, that's amazing to have it kind of tied to a frogman in history. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really cool that they ended up doing that. Um, but we probably got the idea from you guys and then just took it to the next level. You know what I mean? We probably just yeah. uh, added uh, some fuel to the fire. That's that's like par for the course. Yeah, that's not, <laughs> I know it really is. What's the story with the hatchets? Uh, and, the, uh, and the rifle above. Yeah, so I feel you're probably seeing this one. I'm not sure if, which one you're seeing, but on this side, I have an Enfield rifle from 1864 up there. And I forget in Afghanistan, we could bring things back. I think it was like 1899 or before you were allowed to bring yeah. stuff back with just a yeah. one signature or something like that. So that's where I got that one in Afghanistan. So that's a legit Enfield, not one of the uh, copies um, you know, over there. I got right. in there early enough, as you, as you did, where you could still find the, the real ones. And then this is a Parker right here. So I got this uh, in New Hampshire and uh, just a really cool old shotgun right here. So nice. uh, yeah, you don't want to shoot modern loads through that thing. And I need to take it out and do like one hunt with it. Um, but you don't want to put modern loads in that thing. I don't think Damascus barrels. It's pretty, it's pretty legit. So, uh, you know, kind of make it home. It's like a, it's an office. It's a, it's, so it's not just a sound stage here. And then this thing, this is crazy. A guy in Nebraska made this thing. It's called a badass workbench. And uh, this guy put this in the back of his truck and drove it out from Nebraska all the way here to Utah. And this thing is solid right here. So this desk wow. is pretty amazing. So yeah, this is the this is the maiden voyage. So we'll see if this thing uh, if this thing works. Nice man. Well, you know, anytime you do first first time anything, it's a case of beer for everybody. Who's <laughs> exactly. Here, so. <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And last time we were on, we talked about uh, that dive that you were going to do, or you'd done one before uh, out in Saipan with that group, and you're going to go down and look for remains of U.S. servicemen. Did Did yeah, you do that, so, or was that? Uh, so they did it. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Thanks to Nancy Pelosi, and I I find myself saying this a lot. I couldn't go because she she shifted the calendar and called us back in the session for some nonsense. I don't remember what it is, but they went. Uh, it was incredible. They they recovered some of the remains uh, from this dive bomber uh, that had crashed off a of Saipan, uh, and um, you know it, it was just a great testament to the you know the POW MIA office is still out there looking for from everything from Korea to Vietnam to World War II. Uh, you, you name it, are still out there, you know, never leave a fallen brother. So they did it and they actually did it with some of the horse soldier bourbon. Yeah. Guys. Uh, some of those, some of those green berets actually went out there and dove, uh, dove with them. Yeah. But I, I, unfortunately I had to go and do my constitutional duty. There you go. Hey, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad you're in there. I'm glad you put yourself back in the breach and, and you're on the front lines out there. I mean, Better it's me than you, that, right? I, oh yeah. I'm yeah. I, that's the easiest question I get asked is about uh, going into politics. And that answer is such an easy one. No, I mean, no way. Uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, I'm very comfortable in those uh, kind of situations, yeah. not in the kind that you put yourself in, but I'm glad you're out there doing it. I'm glad there are people out there that are doing it, but I can only imagine that it is so much more difficult today than let's say, let's just pick 1987. Um, because you are constantly on kind of like our kids are constantly on, on social media yep. when they leave yep. school and they can continue getting bullied outside of school because of that connection. When they used to have that break from school, uh, between three in the afternoon and whenever they went back the next morning, it seems like it's the same way for you guys now, because everyone can shoot an arrow and you're out there constantly and there really is no break except for when you put your phone down and walk away from it but that doesn't yeah. stop people from being able to sling those arrows and that's 24 7. so it seems to me like it's got to be much more difficult today just to well just thinking about it in those terms and then putting yourself in that in that position 
Yeah, it is. I mean, believe me, there's days that I joke, but I'm I'm only half joking that like, you know, sometimes I think dealing with the tribes of Afghanistan was easier. Oh, <laughs> or I dealing, you know, dealing dealing uh with what was going on over there. I mean, the bad guys were were uh were doing bad things. We could do bad things back to them. But look, look to your point, yeah, you're always on with social media, 24 hours news cycle. Anybody can pull out a phone, record anything. Um, that's the one side of it. I try to also, you know, look at things optimistically. The, the flip side of it, though, and we saw no, you know, no one's taken advantage of this like Donald Trump has, is that we can directly reach the people. We don't have these like, you know, media filters or media journalist intermediaries. So mm-hmm. while on the one hand they can sling arrows, I can also just get on social media, explain a vote, send out a message. Um, you know, kind of go after some of the spin that you might see from the other side or from this administration, mm-hmm. you know, particularly with what we're dealing with right now, how they're trying to spin the Afghanistan debacle as a, you know, as an extraordinary success as, uh-huh. uh, as, as Biden has tried to spin it. So I think there, you know, it's a two way street there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that we can, we can really reach the masses uh, very quickly and very efficiently in a way that you couldn't. Uh, in 1987, you had to depend on a print journalist to kind yeah. of tell your story. Oh, exactly. And same thing for, I guess, for any public figure, especially if you're just starting out, like if you're established, let's say in Hollywood and you're a big name Hollywood star and you don't have social media, uh, let's say like a Keanu Reeves or something like he's good. Yeah. Like he made it ahead of time. He's going to make awesome <laughs> movies going forward. Doesn't have to right. wade into anything. There's no way for someone to ask them, even ask him a question or put anything up on a page of his. Cause it doesn't exist. But if you're just starting out in Hollywood or in publishing like like I am, um, well, just like you, you have to use these tools that are available to you that weren't available in 97, weren't available in 87, 77. Um, and you can use these tools to essentially build a brand, build a business, reach an audience, engage with them. For me, say thank you to people who bought the book or watched the show or whatever it, it right. might be. So, um, But at the same time, those people can just sling those arrows anytime they want and tell you how horrible you are and how awful your book is and how terrible the show is. And and you just, you know, you just gotta, you gotta take it and take the, take the good with the bad and try to remain as positive as possible. And that's what I like about you. Every time you're on, every time I see you on something, uh, you're always optimistic about things, optimistic about the future. You always, for whatever that that personality trait that comes across, even if what you're talking about is gravely serious, um, there's an optimism there. And I always uh, appreciate about that when you're on, when I see you on well, TV. Well, look, I think one of the things that you see, you know, that you see in Washington is people lose sight of who, who they work for, yeah. who's the boss. And the 800,000 people that I have the honor to represent uh, they may not like what I have to say or how I vote or what have you, and they're going to let that be known. But you know what? They're paying my paycheck. Uh, they're the boss. Uh, I take we the people very seriously. Um, and if eventually if enough of them don't like what I do, then then vote somebody else in. That's fine. I'm not here to to be a career politician the, the rest of my life. I want to get up here, get things done. I'm convinced, as I think we talked about before, the more veterans in politics, the better. It's not that we agree on every issue. We we don't by any means, but it's that ethos, man. Like yeah. we were willing to die for that flag when you were out on a in a SEAL platoon or or a or a special forces team or even on a ship or a bomber in the foxhole. Nobody cares about black, white, or brown. They don't care about Republican or Democrat. You're all wearing the American flag on your right shoulder. And it's about mission, taking care of the men and women to your left and right and getting it done. So you know, I, I think we need more of that mentality back in politics. And as I said uh, before, like the statistic that jumped out at me and really kind of motivated me to get in this was that in the 1970s, three quarters of the Congress, the Senate and the House, 
were vets. Today, it's around 16%, record low in our nation's history. And I think that absence of that, you know, mission accomplishment, do what needs to be done for America kind of ethos it explains a lot of our dysfunction. No, it really does. And I remember you talking, telling me that last time we were on, which was yeah. just over a year ago uh, right now. It was about a year since we, we hopped on together. Um, but you mentioned that statistic and I've used it multiple times since and Great. give you credit every time. Uh, just in case I mess it up, I want that to fall back on, on you <laughs> in case it's not right. No, just kidding. Uh, but those, uh, I guess those must have, I mean, those must have been World War II veterans coming back, um, yep. getting, getting to work building businesses, whatever they, they did for about a decade and then going into politics. Uh, and then in the seventies, having that number be the largest that it's ever been in, in U S history. Uh, and then for whatever reason, uh, that just fell by the wayside. Uh, and some of those guys stayed in a long time, like Bob Dole and, uh, and George mm -hmm. Bush, obviously. Um, but then uh, other people went different directions. Uh, and we just don't have those same numbers. And maybe other people may have seen it. I don't know if you see this uh, uh, in, in as you walk through the halls, um, but maybe other people saw it as not a way to serve, but as a career, as a way to make some money. Uh, and I do often point out how some politicians are, are also very savvy investors. It's, uh, it's, it's strange how those go seem to go hand in hand sometimes. Some politicians' husbands are extremely... <laughs> families, I should savvy. say. I should say families, savvy. yes. Extremely savvy investors <laughs> to where they have online followings that just mirror their investments. It's, um, yeah, people have, people have a, a right to be throwing arrows, I think, and, and to be frustrated. And, and you know, I mean, just not to, to beat a dead horse, but that's what makes America America, right? You can criticize your government. You can you could say this is out of bounds. I mean, not to get into it, but we could say that you know um, law enforcement is 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 being politicized. This is wrong. This is infringement of rights. You can't do that. You know, you do that in a lot of places around the world that you and I've served. You disappear in the middle of the night. Yep. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I, I I take that as a as a positive in our system that you can speak truth to power, you can even criticize power, and that's that's built into to, to our republic and our democracy. Nice. I love how you keep it, how you keep how you find the, the silver lining on these things, you know, because people are talking about the weaponization of law enforcement, uh, particularly federal law enforcement. Um, and there is this this division and there is this mistrust. I think that's one of the things that is, uh, uh, well, there's the division and then the, this lack of trust in, in your government. You should always have a little bit of healthy mistrust of government. But now when it's being exacerbated by uh, by by tech companies that benefit from this division. And of course, yep. most of these things were started uh, around some sort of a, you know, a very, you know, hey, let's bring the world together. Let's connect people. And, and, but I think along the line, they're very, very, very quickly out of the gate. They saw uh, where profits lie and that's in division um, and power. More importantly, power is in that division. Um, so I appreciate you always, you know, finding that, that silver lining. Um, but for those that are listening, we talked all about your career in the military and moving into politics and things you did in government as you were also in uniform when you were on last time with warrior diplomat right here. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and that was, that was right. Afghanistan hadn't quote unquote fallen yet, but we were seeing these provinces start yep. to fall at that time. Um, I think we spoke in uh, maybe late July last time. Um, and since then, obviously, since we spoke, then we saw what happened last August. And then all of a sudden, this 20 years that we spent, all this blood and treasure that we spent there, uh, all every single night on the news hearing something about Afghanistan, all of a sudden seems to have disappeared. 
um, and, <laughs> and isn't really talked about. But um, what, I want to get your thoughts on on that, having served there, um, have having done all that you've done for this country on the policy side, then on the tactical side also, and having such unique experience in both of those uh, right. separate arena, but related, obviously, arenas. Um, when you And I know you did a ton to get U.S. citizens out, people who had helped us down, that we had pledged our commitment to downrange, help get them out. I mean, what were those months like for you after we spoke last time, the August, September, October, November of last year? What were those days and months like for you? Well, they were, I mean literally, man, that was, it was one of the, the toughest times of my life. Uh, every single day as uh, Kabul fell and we clearly did not have a plan for, for an evacuation, even though both Republican and Democrat veterans on the Hill, as soon as President Biden made the announcement in April, we began demanding they had to start the evacuation then. Uh, they had to get the people out that um, that had stood and were willing to fight with us, were willing to die for our values against extremism, and yet they didn't. Uh, and then we were also saying that, look, I, I mean, we can debate, you know, whether we should have been there, how we should have been there. You pointed out my book, Warrior Diplomat. I write about all the mistakes that we made, but we also knew that if you yanked out the Afghan army's air support, maintenance support, logistics support, and intel support. Uh, in the height of the fighting season, it wasn't going to go well. Yeah. Uh, and and the, and the intelligence assessments, some were right, some were wrong. Um, but look, it, it, yeah, waking up every day, getting videos of shootings, executions, beheadings of people that you had promised uh, you would take care of, that when they, they when they stand up to fight with us, they don't just put their own lives on the line; they put their entire families. No. lives on the line. Oh, yeah. uh, if the Taliban can't get you, they start executing your brothers, your cousins, your nephews, uh, and, and, and just take it out on your family, which I think is even more brutal. Imagine if our volunteer army, uh, you know, and our voluntary uh, military system, you had to put your family's lives on the line along with yours. Yeah. It's a whole different ball game. Uh, and just to see um, just the total lack of planning the utter debacle that was the execution, uh, the unanswered questions uh, in terms of, uh, you know, why we had uh, soldiers trying to defend an airfield in Kabul uh, International Airport, sitting in the city of a 4 million people surrounded by the Taliban. Why were we trusting, quote, good terrorists uh, to help us against bad terrorists? Right. As though uh, that was even feasible. Why had we given up Bagram Air Base, which was much more defendable and logistically just made a lot more sense? Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, the suicide bomber that uh, ended up killing those 13 Marines, uh, soldiers and sailors was let out of prison at Bagram Air Base just weeks prior. No. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so, I, you know, the list of unanswered questions is just long and painful. And for me, it's been the total lack of accountability. And Jack, the, the defense minister of Denmark was relieved over this withdrawal. The foreign minister of the United Kingdom was forced out over mm. mistakes that they made. And they were, that was nothing compared to the mistakes that were made by this administration. But to this day, no one's been fired. No one's been relieved. No one stepped down. And in fact, to add insult to injury, uh, you have generals in the Pentagon 
and you have the the commander in chief saying this was an extraordinary success. This was great. Um, great job, everyone. And I think that's been, you know, what has been so hard to swallow. And for me to be in a position to affect it somewhat, but not really dictate uh, what happened uh, has been incredibly difficult. I bet. I did not know that about the uh, suicide bomber having been released from Bagram. Yep. Interesting. Because I know, yep. I think I know the holding facility. I mean, maybe there's more than one on Bagram, but I spent some time in one of those uh, back in the day. And uh, there were, there was not a, there was not a fun place to be. You would not want to be in that place. Um, it was pretty serious, but I bet if he was released from that place that I used to, that I spent some time in, that was a bad guy. Like there were no yeah, you got good it. guys yeah. in there. So we handed over the base to uh, the Taliban and then the Taliban just let everybody out. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and two weeks later, uh, that, that ISIS suicide bomber, you know, took 13 more American lives. There should be accountability for those decisions. Why didn't we have a plan uh, for that prison, right? That had the had the worst of the worst, not of the and not just of Taliban fighters, of international terrorists, ISIS yep. and Al Qaeda, yep. right? That are now out on the street with a wide open southern border, uh, and and who knows, you know, what's going to happen because we don't know. We don't have the intelligence assets on on the ground. So so to just, I mean. You know, let's take stock of where we are a year later. We still have Americans uh, behind enemy lines. Uh, both the Secretary of the State and the Commander in Chief said, "Hey, there are about a hundred that we left." That was a lie. They've now since admitted it was eight hundred that we've since pulled out, and there's mm-hmm. still people left behind, and they they can't get out because they can't le- get their families out. And what good, you know, uh, you know, what good family man or or, or, or woman is just going to leave their family members or leave their kids that don't have the appropriate paperwork. Uh, we have our allies that are being hunted down by the tens of thousands. The cousin of one of my interpreters that we did get out, the Taliban just got his cousin who also worked with us and tied him up to the back of a truck and drug him around the village to send a message to anybody who would ever dare work with us again. Girls can't go to school. Women can't go to work. And now we have Al-Qaeda back in Afghanistan and back in Kabul, just like they were with 2001 with the leader of al-Qaeda, Ayman uh, Zawahiri, Mm -hmm. living out on the open, high on the hog in the nicest neighborhood um, in the the narco McMansions in the nicest neighborhood in in Kabul. So yeah, extraordinary success, my ass, man. Uh, This was, and and we could go on that, you know, the message that it sent to Putin and Z and the Iranians, um, as we have Green Berets and SEALs all over the world trying to convince locals to work with us, uh, everybody points back to how we just uh, surrendered to terrorism and abandon our allies. And so I, I don't think we will fully know the effects of all of this. Yeah. And then final thing, I mean, not to make everybody want to drink as they listen to your podcast, <laughs> but um, it, you know, the veterans groups that stood up like Task Force Pineapple mm-hmm. and Dynamo and Afghan EVAC and so many others, um, you know, these were guys and gals uh, that many of them quit their jobs, exhausted their savings uh, on their own dime, were doing what our government should have been doing, man. You know, I mean, it, it, and, and they're still at it. They're not yeah. going to let this go. Um, you know, I, I just talked to somebody who who is working with a Green Beret from Vietnam, he's 82 years old. He's still trying to get Montagnard tribes people that they worked with back then out uh, that the Vietnamese government still perse- persecuting. Like 
the leave no, you know, leave no brother behind is so ingrained in us. They're not going to let it go. Many of them are really suffering emotionally and mentally from all of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just don't know how this ends because this administration just wants it to go away. They just want to turn a page and they're not helping. Oh, man. Yeah, I remember getting text messages from one uh, buddy in particular who is over there and uh, just saying, hey, can you get in touch with, you know, so-and-so at, the, at Fox News or so-and-so congressman or whatever it was. And, you know, just doing what I can to kind of forward these messages, you know, along yeah. just feeling pretty, pretty helpless about the, the whole thing, obviously. Um, but, uh, yeah, the accountability piece. And that also goes back to, hey, we're having a little bit of a recruiting issue. I'm, I have, I've read, um, and, uh, in the military and certainly, uh, parents of kids who are 16, 17, 18 are looking at what happened there. And I don't think it's doing much to, uh, have them encourage their kids to go into service when you see what, what, especially what happened last August. I mean, it doesn't make as a parent, you're like, yes, let's go serve this, this wonderful country of ours. Um, look at, you know, we we can trust in these senior level military leaders, uh, you know, regardless of policy, we know those senior level military leaders are going to make the good decisions for men and women on the ground. You can't say that. Um, it is. And when we talk about accountability, uh, I didn't know that about Denmark and, and Great Britain. Um, but it's certainly the opposite of what we've seen in this country from the end of World War II, uh, literally 1947, when everything was reorganized with the military and, and intelligence apparatus. Uh, and all that accountability just seems to have evaporated. Uh, George Marshall held people accountable before World War yep. II, during World War II. Uh, we can all rattle off the names of admirals and generals that led us to victory in World War II. Uh, well, they didn't start there. Those people didn't start there in 1941 in those positions for the most part. There were other people in those positions that didn't that didn't measure up, and George Marshall pretty much fired those people. And one of the yeah, main George reasons Marshall- he fired them is because they didn't have common sense. That was one of his, he had seven attributes of a leader and I've written down around here, here somewhere, but one of those ones that really stood out to me, uh, is that one of the most important battlefield, one of the important attributes of a battlefield leader is having common sense. And that is why people who had no touch points with the military, maybe they never even seen a military film, never read a book on strategy or tactics, uh, don't know anyone in the military could look at that withdrawal from Afghanistan and apply a little common sense to it and say, wait a sec, we had a tactically advantageous position at this place called Bagram. Okay. Some standoff distance around there. Okay. We held it. All right. Got it. Uh, and then we moved everyone to a tactically disadvantageous position in that chaos. And we all saw it on the news. Why on earth would we do that? And wait a second, why has no one been held accountable for that decision? I mean, every citizen in this country who has a little bit of common sense can apply it to that situation. And that doesn't instill trust in our senior level leaders. Especially when they're every one of us. I mean, I'm I'm sure you felt the same way when we saw those masses crowded up against uh, our Marines and our soldiers knew that it was just a matter of time until one of those uh, individuals had a suicide vest on. I mean, you know, so we gave them contradictory missions, defend the airfield, which means you got to have standoff uh, and you got to be able to use lethal force. But yet, you know, you deal with this panic in mass evacuation at the same time, it was completely contradictory missions and they were set up for failure. Uh, And, and, and we saw the results of it, but I want to hit on what you were hitting on this recruiting crisis. You know, the army this year uh, is only going to hit about 50% of its numbers, 50%. So you start projecting that forward, right. And turn, it takes typically about five years to make up for a shortfall. Uh, then you layer on top of that the National Guard the, the, and the Pentagon 
is contemplating kicking out tens of thousands of soldiers over the vaccine mandate. Uh, that that and look, I completely get the argument. An order is an order. You got to follow an order. But as a leader, you have to also evaluate your orders and whether they still make sense. Yes, the platoon's got to charge the hill when you when you tell them to. But as a leader, you say, does it is it worth the cost to still charge that hill versus the gain I'm going to get? And now that the vaccine has shown not to stop the spread, it's a personal it's it's a personal health decision. And gee, two days ago, you know, a couple of days ago, the uh, the CDC agrees. That it's a personal health decision, yet um, they're looking at kicking out tens of thousands in the middle of a recruiting crisis. But I think you hit the nail on the head when you when the country sees such a lack of leadership. Um, when on the one hand, you have our leaders, including the current Secretary of Defense, saying the military is overrun with white extremists. Uh, and yet his own study shows that about 100 out of two and a half million participated in some form of extremism. That's 0.004%, but yet that was his number one priority. When you see all of this wokeism, uh, when you have classes in uh, the United States Military Academy titled How to Cope with Your Whiteness and Your White Rage, uh, rather than here's how you shoot, move, and communicate on the battlefield, and we should learn historic lessons, um, then you have a lot of people not wanting their kids to join. And then when you have an unaddressed suicide crisis, um, right. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Parents are saying, I don't know. And it's even it's not just, you know, kind of everyday Americans out there. It's current military members not wanting their kids to follow it uh, in their footsteps. And we're seeing about half of current recruits come from military families. So you, you layer on all of that, then you have about 75 uh, percent of young people are either too obese have drugs or criminal history to where they're not even eligible. Uh, and and this is this is a real crisis. Uh, and I'm pushing to hold hearings on it. What is the Pentagon doing about it? And when you go out there and you kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, you you you, you kind of badmouth the military, you paint this negative picture, uh, then we're seeing a, a drop-off in popular perception mm. uh, of the military. It historically has been in the 70s and 80s in terms of people having a favorable view. Now it's hovering around the 50, uh, around the 50%. Interesting. Uh, that's 50% of Americans that don't have a positive view in our military. And we've got to turn that around. Have you seen that? Uh, I think I just saw it yesterday. Um, it was that graph that people have been posting on, on social media that shows deaths in Iraq and Afghanistan, and it's a, uh, a video graphic. And so it shows uh, the deaths in Iraq and Afghanistan kind of like this, and it shows military suicides on this other axis going. Yeah. And so it just shows uh, kind of comparing what happened downrange to what's happening with these suicide rates. And it's, I mean, it's a, that video, uh, that video graphic is, uh, it's really eye opening. I mean, it's, it's, it's so tough. We all know people that have, have taken their, their own lives there. And, yep. uh, there are so many more organizations now. I mean, you can only imagine coming back from Vietnam and dealing with something or World War II in Korea, even when there was a zero, um, right. but, uh, coming back from, from Vietnam and really having limited resources. Now there are resources out there. Um, but still that, that, that rate well, continues to cross to climb. And it's not just veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan, obviously, as you know, taking their lives are still Vietnam veterans taking their, their lives and their, sure. their later years as, as well. Um, 
but uh, but there are organizations out there that are that are there to help, um, and there are a lot more resources than there were. But still, that that suicide rate continues to climb. Yeah, well, I, I do want to I, I do want to say uh, for for any veteran uh, listening or watching, look, I I don't think uh, their sacrifices, their family sacrifices, their buddies in Afghanistan were were in vain. Not for a second. We had an entire generation of Americans that grew up not worried about planes flying into buildings, not worried about suicide bombers going off on school buses or in malls or, or, or wherever, because we kept the problem over there rather than over here in our backyard. To all our brothers and sisters out there, it was not in vain. Uh, but if you are going to a dark place, please you know, reach out to a buddy, call 988 um, and, and, and get some help. Uh, I, and I'll tell you, so what do we do about it? I'll tell you what we, I think we should not do about it. And that's continue to pour more billions into the VA. Mm. Uh, the, the budget of the VA has gone from about 90 billion in 2000 to almost 250 billion um, now in, in, in the last year. And yet the suicide rate rate has stayed the same. Uh, and there are, to your point, there are a lot of great organizations. I want that funding to go around the bureaucracy mm. and go into those organizations that are sitting, you know, eyeball to eyeball and applying all kinds of different, um, you know, kind of techniques to deal with this rather than just saying, go see a counselor and throw in some opioids mm -hmm. uh, at it, whether it's service dogs, whether it's hyperbaric chambers, medicinal marijuana, uh, you know, all types of other therapies. Like I want to see the full spectrum yeah. um, uh, uh, applied to this problem and not just kind of the same old, same old through the VA bureaucracy. They often mean well, but it is a massive unwieldy. It's government run healthcare with yeah. all that you get with that. Yeah. Uh, and so we'll, we'll, we'll keep chopping away at it. Yeah. The gigantic bureaucracies. Oh my goodness. Um, but we've talked about those uh, 13 Americans that lost their lives at, at Abbey Gate there during the withdrawal, uh, putting in yeah. just an untenable position, um, putting one of the worst tactical positions you can possibly be in, essentially in a riot, people trying to overrun an airfield and you're out there and they're, you can't tell if they're armed, if they have an S vest on, I mean, you're total chaos. And these kids are, they were all young, they're in their 20s um, yep. and for the most part. And, uh, and, and so we talk about them, but there are also others who are missing arms, legs, cannot walk anymore, dealing with the, with traumatic brain injury from that specific event. Um, so it is not just those 13, it's everyone else that was, uh, that was involved there that are still dealing with the, uh, the physical and the emotional trauma of that particular day, that particular event. Um, rescue 22 foundation is a, is a uh, foundation that I work with that provides fully trained service dogs to, uh, to service members. And they're, uh, they've trained one up for a, uh, a female Marine who cannot walk anymore because of that, uh, that bombing. And she has a service dog now, and it's just amazing to see that. Uh, so, um, to see what these service dogs can do. So having those different organizations that weren't out there for, for that Vietnam uh, generation in particular. I mean, that, that does give me a little bit of hope. There's so many people that, yep. are, that are devoting so much of their time, energy and yeah. effort most of the time for uh, all the ones that I know anyway, uh, don't receive a paycheck for it at all. Uh, it's just their time and they're so devoted to doing this. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so those, those are out there. So, you just gotta, you have to look I, though. You gotta look. To my point on the service dogs, we had to fight with the VA for state. They, they studied the issue of whether service dogs were effective for almost 10 years. <laughs> uh, and, and we all know, I mean, they help you with night terrors. They get you out to socialize. They provide all Amazing. kinds of 
um, you know, of, of therapeutic help. Everybody I know uh, that has been provided a service dog has gone from dozens of meds to almost zero. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just been a lifesaver for them. Yet the VA didn't want to do it. We finally passed legislation to make them start providing service dogs. They said they cost too much money to train. Like, think of how much money they're going to save you in therapy and other types of services uh, down the road. So, uh, you know, again, this is where, you know, having uh, veterans, I think, in Congress that know the deal yeah. and, and aren't going to take no for the answer and put a finger in the chest of the bureaucrats to get it done. But it's not just, um, you know, the, the the killed, the wounded, the people that were there. It's their families, brother. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, we just exactly. had the we just had the older brother of one of the 13 killed in action uh, kill himself at his little brother's memorial a year yeah. later. I mean, his poor mother, his poor family. Um, so it's also about, you know, the, the, the families take the brunt of it. We're out there uh, doing what we trained for, yeah. often doing, doing what we love, and the families get three bad choices. Either we don't come home at all, we come home missing limbs, or we come home forever mentally changed. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, those are their three bad choices. So it's a team effort to serve this country. And uh, I've made it, you know, kind of my mantra to, to, to continue focusing on the families as they deal the brunt, with the brunt of our service. Yeah. Oh, man, it, it's so heartbreaking. So heartbreaking yeah. out there. You know, that, uh, that 800 um, number that you mentioned earlier, I didn't see that till just the other day. I mean, I heard the administration saying there's 100 uh, U.S. citizens or people that are still in Afghanistan. And I just saw that just yesterday, I think. That number changed to, oh, it's 800 uh, now. And these, like you talked about, there are these non-governmental organizations that formed around this uh, this issue and went downrange right away to try to help people that were, uh, were left behind. Um, and uh, is there, I think I also read that uh, there is a report, there's an after-action review that is going through the Pentagon. I'm not sure if it's just about the withdrawal or if it's about the 20 years in Afghanistan, uh, uh, but there's something that's kind of going to be made public at some point here soon, I think. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Well, the Pentagon's got a, you know, a couple of different reports going, you know, they don't, they don't let us see the details of those until they're done yeah. in terms of presenting those to Congress. Um, uh, the Republicans in Congress had one in the foreign affairs committee that they just, uh, released, but frankly, the state department just stonewalled them. Uh, on it. And then there's a commission that uh, has been put forward by Congress. Uh, my issue with the commission is twofold. One, it looks at the entire 20 years. So if you divide up the time that it has to look at anything, uh -huh. that leaves the actual withdrawal kind of diluted. And I yeah. think that was done on purpose. Mm. And oh, by the way, this is really convenient. The report's not due until December of 2024. Oh, that is convenient. Uh, in that convenient, oh. uh, on a political timeline. So I'm calling for a Benghazi-style uh, 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 commission or select committee mm. that is looking just at the withdrawal, yep. right, on, on the decisions leading up to it. What did the military advise? What was accepted? What was ignored? How are these decisions made? Uh, and, and, and again, there needs to be... Uh, some type of accountability. I've talked to a number of the Gold Star families. I think you and I have, have, have dealt with this. You're used to a level of grief, uh, but I've never dealt with this level of rage. Uh, they are so furious at just the lack of answers uh, and, and feeling like their loved ones were put in a situation that was impossible and that they shouldn't have been put in. Uh, and so 
man, I, I got to tell you, as long as I'm in this seat, I'm not going to let it go. Um, and, and, and I'm going to stay on this uh, as long as it takes to get that accountability that they yeah. deserve. No, exactly. I mean, imagine if we had accountability the way we had, let's say, in 1942, 43, 44, um, and you had that today. Like, which of these senior level military leaders would have been in the positions that they've been in for the last 20 years and would have failed up, would have failed upward? Like, probably yeah. none of those names that we know today would be in those positions if they had been held accountable along the line. We had 20 years to figure out who had what it took to be in these positions. And, uh, but it, once again, it became a gigantic bureaucracy. It became a career, not a profession. Um, and, uh, and if you, if, uh, in, in many cases, if you just don't do a few things wrong, you can stay in and time oh, in service, right. time in rate, yeah. time in yeah. these things, and you'll get promoted along the way. And then all of a sudden, you're the last person standing because so-and-so went off and went to law school, so-and-so went off, went to med school, so-and-so went off and started a business, so-and-so went into finance, uh, and then you're here. And just because you didn't pop positive on a drug test or get too many DUIs, now all of a sudden you're a colonel, and then oh, oh now you're up for a flag rank, and now you're in charge. Um, and... Oh, it's just brutal. But imagine if we saw well, these people held accountable along the way, just a couple, you had 20 years of these people. I mean, the Afghanistan papers by Craig Whitlock, every American should read that book because you can see, you can juxtapose what they thought in private versus what they said to Congress. And those things were 180 out in almost every case with these senior level leaders. And they thought these conversations were never going to be made public. Uh, but through two Freedom of Information Act uh, lawsuits by the Washington Post, they became public. And so essentially yep. you have these senior level military leaders lying to Congress, uh, lying to their troops by default and the American people. Um, and if they weren't lying, uh, if they were just confused, uh, that's almost worse. Um, they should be held accountable. And they imagine American people seeing them fired. Uh, yeah. That would restore so much trust in our military. If you saw these people, hey, look at these guys failed time and time again. They keep getting promoted. Wait a sec. Wait, something changed here. These guys are now being held accountable. They're being fired. No pension. Off they go. Wow. Okay. Wow. This is, we're turning things around. I think that visual for the American people, they don't have to be humiliated. You just, hey, people get fired all the time in private sector. You don't measure up, you're out. Um, and if you saw that in our nation's military, I think that would restore a lot of trust between the populace, the citizens, yeah, man. and I our I think you're military. absolutely right. I, I think part of it goes to, you, you were talking about the comparisons back to World War II. Part of it goes to the very nature of the draft military versus what I call the, the careerist mm -hmm. military today. Because back then, you were pulled out of your life whether it was your business, plumbing, electric, electrician, whatever mm -hmm. it was, a farmer, and sent off to war, and you were incentivized to take every risk necessary, do what it takes to win, because you were there until you won, so that you could come back to and go back to your life. Yeah. Now, a tour is a blip on an otherwise, you mm -hmm. know, could be promising 20, 25-year career. So the incentive becomes, don't screw it up. Mm -hmm. you know, don't have a base overrun. Don't lose a sensitive item. Don't take any casualties. And so the default, you know, kind of um, reaction to any type of gray area or difficult situation becomes inaction. Yep. Nobody ever gets fired for doing nothing uh, when you're downrange, right? Uh, and so I, I, you know, and I, I wrote about it in my book on this kind of this risk aversion that has mm -hmm. set in. And, and you hit the nail on the head, you'll just keep getting, you know, promoted upwards. And those who want to think out of the box, do things more quickly, do things more, 
um, you know, you know, outside of the norm mm -hmm. often get out, you know, they, they get out and, and yeah. get frustrated and go do other things. And so what, what you're left with are, are people who just promote people who think like themselves. And what I can't understand is once you get to the four star general level, you're not going to get five or six stars, right? I mean, you're there. Right. Uh, and, and if you're being ordered to do things that you know are going to cost lives, cause us to lose a war, cause us to set up a situation, and we haven't even talked about where I think we're going to have to go back to Afghanistan to deal with this mess, mm. um, then then put it on the table. Like, you know, you, 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 you've gotten there. And we just, I think they're so in this kind of political go along to get along mindset for so long. Uh, that they 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 can't get out of it. Yeah, no, it's, it's so brutal. And uh, and who pays the price? That tactical level soldier, sailor, airman, marine, yep. every single time, as we saw at Abbey Gate, and we saw year after year throughout our time in Iraq and Af in Afghanistan, both of those places. Uh, but today, this is gonna this is gonna air a little later. But today, when we're talking, this is Tom Rice's 101st birthday. I saw it today. So Tom Rice was 101st Airborne, first in his stick out over Normandy uh, on wow. D-Day. And uh, then fought all the way to Berlin. It wasn't just, hey, one operation. Those guys fought then all the way to Berlin through the Battle of the Bulge. I mean, so incredible. And I got to meet this guy. We went to Pearl Harbor together with the Best Defense Foundation last December with my daughter. She got to sit across the table from in, in Pearl Harbor, 63 uh, different um, World War II veterans going back for those 80th anniversary commemoration events, um, helping them in and out of their wheelchairs to their rooms, getting their medication, doing all these. I mean, it, it was incredible, life-changing for her. We went back to D-Day this last June and uh, spent over a week there to all these different events. And man, if, if people can they should do everything possible to try to get to Normandy during yep. that week. Um, early June, let's say the June 1st through the 10th, somewhere in there, June 10th, 1st through the 11th, somewhere in there. That whole region of France, I have never seen so many American flags, even in this country. I've never seen so many American flags, 101st Airborne flags, 82nd Airborne flags everywhere. It's, it's, all it's these vintage Jeeps incredible. out, they're all dressed up yeah. in these uh, vintage uh, U.S. Army clothing, um, huge parades. These guys were wheeling them through the streets in their wheelchairs. People are coming out. They have a car, these little baseball cards that we made for them with the Best Defense Foundation. They're signing autographs. People are getting pictures taken with them, giving them kisses on the cheek. You know, it's just, it is amazing to see the outpouring of support and yeah. American patriotism in France from I, I the French people. I know. It's I know. incredible. I, I was, so I was able to uh, go over for the 75th anniversary of D-Day, broke away from the congressional delegation and jumped. Uh, out oh, so of cool. uh, an original C-47. So awesome. Uh, with the horse soldier bourbon guys. Nice, uh, nice. The with Scotty Neal. Yeah, yeah, with Scotty Neal and, and Mark Nutsch Mark Nitch, and, yep. and everybody uh, in um, uh, uh, the original World War II. The, the parachute was new. Everything That's else was good. vintage. <laughs> Although uh, very similar bird. to the ones from World War II, by the way. Yeah. For those who have been to Fort Benning, uh, they'll know yeah, that they not too much, much has changed. They haven't changed much. Uh, we jumped <laughs> over St. Mary Gleese. And Jack, the thing that was awesome, we did it with a 92-year-old paratrooper. Amazing. Uh, and he was hooting and hollering all the way down to the ground. Of course, he was tandem to one of the guys and we asked him, how was that? He said, hell of a lot better than being shot at by the Germans. That was awesome. <laughs> better than the last time. It. Yeah. Yeah. The hell of a lot better than the last time. <laughs> and, but you're right. I mean, of course they dropped us a little off course, which was, you know, normal and walking through these French villages. Wow. Huge banners. We Amazing. love you, America. Thank you for our freedom. Welcome to our liberators. You would have thought D-Day had happened like last year, yep. not, you know, almost 80 
years ago and every American's got to go. Yeah, uh, it, it was one of the most and, and all of these little kids running around with American flag T-shirts. I thought they were American kids. They were French kids. So it's not just the older generation. No, they've really young. passed that uh, the appreciation down. Yeah, totally different than the French in Paris, by the way. Yeah, little uh, little different, yeah. little different, very different. Uh, yeah, and we also we took these guys. So it was sixty three. We took to Pearl Harbor. There was twenty four. I want to say that we took to um, to Normandy, and we did a school visit. And the school visit in uh, in Normandy incredible because um, you're seeing, let's say, kindergarten through eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, somewhere in there. And the outpouring of support for these guys, and it was genuine. It wasn't like in the United yep. States when someone comes to talk and you can see the kid, they have to be there and they're marched off to the auditorium and they have to listen for a little while and then they go back to class. Negative. They were all out there. Every single one of these kids had American flags. They all wanted these cards from these guys. They all wanted pictures. They were out there just yelling and screaming and waving these flags. And we went to each classroom and talked to them. And it was incredible. It was a really, I mean, it gave me uh, that along with going to Pearl Harbor uh, and seeing the, in the United States, seeing the parade that they threw. I think all of Hawaii showed up, it seemed like, in Honolulu for the parade. And so that one in the United States gave me a little bit of, of hope for future generations. Uh, and then obviously seeing what I saw in uh, Normandy with my daughter and for her to be able to see that and then go to, yeah. the, go to the American cemeteries there and see, I mean, every American needs to go and see that. I think it would really instill um, uh, a lot of pride uh, and respect for those generations who gave us these freedoms that we have today. And in doing so, really instill in us how important it is to study the reasons that we have these freedoms and then be a little bit more careful maybe about who we vote for and not just vote for someone because somebody else tweeted it who didn't put in that requisite time, energy, and effort into whatever issue it may be. Um, hey, let's pause, get into the pages of some books and really appreciate why we have these freedoms in this country and maybe vote accordingly. I think that's what we owe that generation. That's what we owe all those generations from the inception of this country up through today that gave us these freedoms that sacrificed so much. And it's not really for us, as, as you know, it's for future generations. These votes that we cast today and these decisions we make today, they're not for, for us. They're for our kids, our grandkids, for their kids. And, uh, and that's it, why man. it's so so important. But but to, in order to, you have to be an educated electorate. You have to open the pages of books. You have to travel if you if you can um, and, uh, and really put some thought into who you're going to vote for. Uh, it, it's important. Yeah, so uh, on Pearl Harbor, um, that that's another one. I mean, I, I would put Normandy and Pearl Harbor as kind of two must haves. Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to go and uh, dive for the POW remains off of Saipan, but I was able to link up with some of your uh, fellow active duty SEALs and uh, we snorkeled over the USS Utah and the Arizona. Wow. Uh, and which was, I mean, because the water is so shallow, you're right there on top of it. And wow. I didn't realize that the Pearl Harbor survivors, the few that are left, can request to be buried that have their uh, remains in an urn uh, and have them interned into the USS Arizona yeah. so that they can forever be with, uh, with all of their shipmates. I just thought that was incredible. And then of course the USS Missouri, the battleship where the Japanese surrendered mm -hmm. uh, is, is still there. And uh, just, man, I mean, that thing, that thing was yeah. a beast and it just, <laughs> it yeah. just blows, it just blows you away. Oh, it does. Um, it does. And, and you're just walking on, you're just walking on hallowed ground. Yeah. Uh, and, and to, to make you appreciate that freedom's not free. 
And we're, as Reagan said, one generation away from, from losing it all. If we take our eye off the ball. Oh yeah, no, he was right. And, uh, and I'd also encourage people to go sooner rather than later. Um, and go when you can see some of these veterans that were there in these places and go shake their hands because they're not gonna be around for much longer. Um, so you, you have a window, you have a window and take your kids, take your grandkids while you can. Um, and really say thank you these guys. Um, it is a, it is a special, uh, a special experience, especially for the, that younger, younger generation. Um, but yeah, what, yeah, what they, what they did for us, I mean, we'll never be able to repay it obviously. And what we can do though, is make good decisions today for the next generation. I think yeah. that's what's, what's most important as far as a takeaway. Hey, while we have a little bit of time, I hope you don't mind. I was, uh, I wanted to congratulate you on, uh, on the Amazon series Thank you. And, and on the show, man. <laughs> Hey, I, I don't know if it was you advising or whom, but just the the handling of the firearms, the commands they gave, um, you know, I was, you know, of course, as a Green Beret, I was looking for something to criticize the SEALs on. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, it was, it was really spot on. Oh, and you. I got to tell you that first, uh, the first one just for, for me as a veteran and as a commander uh, was, was tough to watch brother. Um, some of the toughest calls I made, uh, you know, obviously if, if you don't make it back, uh, the casualty officer and the chaplain come knocking on the door, but I wounded, um, I I remember one incident in particular where, you know, I called, um, I called his spouse and as soon as she heard my voice on the other end of the line, she just had a full meltdown of, you know, right. And, and there was a delay because we were calling from overseas and I just couldn't get out fast enough. Um, he's okay. He's okay. He's okay. But right. Like here's, here's what happened. It just, it brought a lot of that crashing back to me. And, um, but that also is a testament to how realistic it was. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's a fictional story, but from the very beginning for Chris Pratt, Antoine Fuqua, the director, David DeGilio, the showrunner, uh, was most important to, to them and to me was that it had this, this touch point in reality, had these touch points and these foundational elements of modern warfare. Um, and we're really trying to showcase the mindset of a modern warrior um, who yep. has this link to the past through his study of history and through some of these weapons that, uh, that have ancient lineage. Um, so that's what we tried to capture. And uh, we had Max Adams, former Army Ranger, uh, former enlisted guy that went to, went to West Point. Uh, and he's a writer in Hollywood now. He's written on The Expendables and a bunch of other sh- amazing shows. Such a great guy. He was there every single day. So we did have Army representation right there. Max <laughs> Adams, awesome. Well, I have to, uh, you know, that, not to give anything away, but the, you know, when, when, they're, when they're chasing him through the National Park, yeah. I, I could have sworn I detected a few Rambo scenes that, in there. Yep, right? that was our first blood. Yeah, our, that was our homage yeah, to first, first blood. blood uh-huh. to, who was, of course, a Green Beret. But, yep, you know, exactly. That, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yep. And uh, and Max wrote that episode. So you get a writer's room together, and then you split everybody up into who takes what episode. And uh, and that's the one he wanted to, to write. He wanted to do this uh, this first blood hat tip. And, uh, and that was it. So, uh, but he was also there every day as a producer, as a second unit director. So we had him on set every day. We had Ray Mendoza on set every day of war office productions. Who's a former seal. He did the technical advising. And then we had Jared Shaw who actually gave the book to Chris Pratt and is the reason the whole thing came, came mm-hmm. to be. Um, he was there every day as a producer, as an actor, he played boozer in the, in the show yep. and then helped technical advise as well. So without those three guys there, without Max Adams, without that, without that army representation and without Ray and Jared, uh, two seals there every day, that team and without 
Antoine trusting them, without Chris trusting them, David Agilio trusting them, it'd be a very different show. So we really wanted to do something that the veteran of Iraq and Afghanistan could could watch and say, hey, these guys tried. At least there's going to be some Hollywood stuff, of course, in, in anything. But uh, these guys tried to get it right. It was pretty, it was pretty, you know, I mean, even little things like, you know, SEALs, uh, clear rooms differently, uh, you know, just train differently. Uh, the high ready versus the low ready and, and, and holding your weapons. I mean, I, like I said, I think every veteran that watches it always tries to, a, a show like that tries to find something that's a, a little out of bounds. Yeah. Those guys did a great job, man. <laughs> thank you. Thank <laughs> they, you. They did a, they did a great, so compliments to them. Appreciate but, it. Hey, just one other quick thing. Yeah, um, yeah. You mentioned in a, having an educated electorate in an educated country, and I'm, I'm just absolutely passionate about education uh, I had, uh, a children's book, Bam. which I, I think you right got there. there. Yep. I got it right wow. here. Yep. Look. I have another copy upstairs with my, uh, my little guy has it. And this is awesome. There we go. Yeah. Dawn of the brave. Man. I wanted to ask yeah. you like, like in all the things that you're doing, when did you start thinking about writing this? And then I love the back. I love how you take, you have these lessons in here. So it's, it's an, it's an awesome story for kids, but then it doesn't just end with the lesson. Then it has these challenges in the back and it has your take yeah. on, on these things. You have a mission. And I, so I love that. So it makes it interactive. Um, and it's a really cool thing that you, that you've done. And there's a second one, uh, another one coming. Um, but, uh, uh, well, I think we saw, yeah. I mean, to answer your question, we saw with COVID, uh, I, I think two silver linings. One was that we realized as a nation that things that are seemingly cheap and inexpensive and not important, like mask gowns, gloves, our pharmaceuticals, we can't have those supply chains be totally dependent on our adversary yes. like China. Yeah. And that we got to bring Once again, those supply common chains. sense. We talked about common <laughs> sense earlier. Right. Especially when they're openly threatening, if we don't agree with them to cut off things like uh, like people don't realize we no longer make penicillin in this country. It's 100% made in China, and they're openly threatening to cut it off if we don't agree with them. The other silver lining was that with, with all these kids stuck at home, you know, learning through Zoom, parents got a real uh, eye-opener to what's being taught yes. uh, in our schools. I think a lot of people assume that our universities have gone off the left rail mm -hmm. um, with, uh, you know, just a lot of uh, left-wing socialist nonsense. But I don't think they realized what was being taught all the way down into our elementary schools. And that's why you've seen such a pushback from parents. You saw it uh, realized, I think, in the, the election of um, Yunkin in Virginia, the, the pushback mm -hmm. at school board meetings. And now uh, people taking school board races, which I think is the most important position on the ballot. I think it should be at the top of the ballot mm -hmm. above Congress and Senate and what have nice. you, because that's truly charting our future and what our kids are being taught. So that's, you know, to answer your question of kind of what inspired me, um, this is a series. It, you can only find it on bravebooks.com. Nice. Uh, and each month the kid gets a new kind of thematic uh, uh, book, whether it's on family values, the right of every American to protect themselves through the Second Amendment. Oh, yeah, Amendment, that stood out right, right? there. Yeah, right. And in this case, this was the first um, book in the series where all of the different characters came together and they realized they all have different strengths and weaknesses, but they have to work together as a team That's it. to defend Freedom Island yeah. uh, against the invading pirate rats uh, that want to come, you know, take their liberties and, and subjugate them. And they, they figure out that how they have to train and come together 
Uh, they kind of get their butts kicked the first go around because they're all acting as individuals yeah. and then they come together as through teamwork uh, and, and, and really also putting forth the, the act of selfless service mm-hmm. that sometimes you have to sacrifice your comfort or where you, you think the things should be going for your buddies, for your teammates and for your country. Yeah. Uh, and so that, you know, that's the genesis of it. You can get it on bravebooks.com and uh, not on Amazon or, or, you know, any of the other stuff, nothing against Amazon, but just bravebooks.com. Nice. And, uh, um, and that, you know, we have to reach that. Parents have to quit complaining about the situation and let's put good, wholesome material in our kids' hands. And so we're trying to get it out into libraries and, 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 and back into school systems so that, you know, I'd say final thing is we're falling so far behind on just the basics yeah. of reading, writing, and arithmetic. Yeah. I mean, you've got inner cities where less than half of the school kids can reach the bare minimums. Let's focus on that and good, wholesome content <laughs> and, nice. and, and just leave the more controversial issues for families to deal with back at home. Because last I checked, parents are in charge, not, you know, uh, not, not elected, not, you know, appointed bureaucrats in our school systems. Yeah, no, exactly. And you guys did a fantastic job with this. Um, And how did you find uh, the the artist who did, uh, did the, because the artwork is amazing in here. Yeah, thanks. It definitely was not me. Uh, we did not <laughs> learn that in special forces training. <laughs> nice. Um, but the, the the illustrator uh, uh, was actually brought in uh, by the publisher, and we we worked together and back and forth, and and uh, to really kind of bring those lessons home to our kids. Awesome, awesome, man. Dude, thank you so much for coming on again. Yeah, parents, get this for kids. For, get the whole series for kids. Uh, parents, get this one right here. Get Warrior Diplomat right here, um, especially with if you're asking questions about Afghanistan, which you should be. Um, this uh, Also, before I let you go, when people are like, hey, you know, I don't have time for a school board. You know, I realize how important that is. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll make time. I'll try. What else can they do? What can they do to support you um, in, in your mission? What can they do to, to support these foundational elements of freedom in our country? Like what can that person do who's working from sunup past sundown every single day? Uh, harder now with inflation, obviously. Um, but that person, what can, what can they do to, uh, uh yeah, to have the sure. biggest impact that they possibly can on the future of this nation? Well, I appreciate you asking. I mean, and, and I tell people this all the time, like even my own family members, you know, it's, it's relatively kind of cheap and easy to, to yell at the television or to complain on social media or argue with your relatives at Thanksgiving. <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if, if you're, if you're passionate about it, give your time or give your treasure um, and, and get out and, and, and volunteer uh, and, and help get the message out, whether that's, you know, door to door or phone banks or working with a candidate. And that's not just for Congress, again, school board, judges, mm-hmm. um, County commission, city commission, you know, mayors. I mean, that's where so many of these decisions uh, are actually made that affect our everyday uh, lives. I think the stuff in Washington often makes the headlines. Yeah. But the actual decisions are being made at state legislatures uh, and and with local government. And, and uh, you know, I, as a member of Congress, try to push as much power down to them uh, as, as I can. Things are handled differently in Ormond Beach than they are in Montana or downtown L.A., Mm-hmm. And appropriately so. Um, and then the other thing I'm really passionate about, as I mentioned, is getting more veterans elected. Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, uh, supporting an organization called Frontline Patriots PAC, 
Um, and we are uh, supporting veterans uh, on, on, on my side of the aisle to, to get elected. There's a bipartisan group. If you're on you know, both sides of the aisle, uh, called with honor mm. that supports both Republicans and Democrats. But look, I'm convinced we get that ethos back into our national leadership, uh, that that same ethos that we have out in combat will be a better country for it. Yeah, no, I think you're, you are spot on. And then people can just type Mike Waltz in and you'll, your website will pop up, but what is it? Yeah, is it Mike Congressman Waltz. Mike Waltz is it? Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. MikeWaltz.com. It'll, it, it'll come right up. If you want to, uh, support yeah. me personally, I appreciate it, man. Perfect. Perfect. Ah, well, I will let you get back to work. You have important things to do. And, uh, man, thank you for being out there and thank you for, for taking those arrows. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. Like we talked about, you're out there 24 seven. There's no breaks for you these days. Um, but as we also talked about the flip side of that is that you get to engage, you get to explain, you get to educate, uh, you get to let people know about things like this. So thank you so much for, uh, for doing what you do, obviously your, your service to the nation, but more so for your continued service to the nation on a battlefield that I think is much more difficult, uh, to deal with than what we dealt with, uh, on the, on the ground in Iraq and Afghanistan. So, so <laughs> yeah, thank like you my, so much. Hey, thanks, man. Like my wife uh, says sometimes she was like, so getting shot at around the world for 26 years, wasn't enough. Now, he, now, now you gotta, you gotta do, this. do this, but look, I, I'll be damned if I have, uh, a, my, my kids, which by the way, I've got a newborn. Oh, congratulations. Uh, since we last, since we last spoke nice. and my wife let me name him Army. No kid way. You kid you not. His name is Army. So wow. now we're saying, you know, go Army. Uh, Army's got to eat. Army's got to rest. That's right? amazing. You know? <laughs> that's incredible. I still can't believe she let me get away. No, with that's it, pretty good. Did. That's yeah. pretty good. Hey. But I'll, you know, what I was going to say is I'll be damned if I'm going to have him or, or, or my daughter or, mm. our, you know, our kids or grandkids growing up uh, in a country led by socialists or a world led by Chinese communists, right? So that, that's the fight before us. And, uh, it's, it's a fight worth having, man. Ah, well, thanks for being out there on those, on those front lines. It's uh, I sincerely appreciate it. My family does, and hopefully we'll get to dive on a, a, a wreck in Saipan one of these days. I think that'd be an amazing, uh, experience to do, uh, to, to be a part of. Yeah. And let's, uh, it'd be cool to make that happen. All right. Next time they said there's, they, they found more remains out there. So we'll wow. have to get linked up and do it next year. Awesome. I'm gonna start working out. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. Awesome. Hey, take care. Thanks for everything. Okay. Take care. Bye. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Navy Federal Credit Union. I have been a member since 1996. There's my original card right there. I uh, got that at Damn Neck, Virginia, when I was at Intelligence Specialist A School at the Navy and Marine Corps Intelligence Training Center uh, on Damn Neck, Virginia, right before I went to BUDS. So it was boot camp, ISA school, BUDS, and then off to the races in the SEAL team. But the entire time, to include through today, I have been a member of Navy Federal Credit Union. And now they're sponsoring this podcast, which is amazing. Crazy how things come full circle like that. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union lets you experience more from everyday commutes to your next big vacation. The flagship credit card earns you three times the points on travel so you can get rewarded for wherever you're headed next. Plus, this premium travel card has a low annual fee of $49 and two times the points on all purchases outside of travel which means the rewards don't have to end even when the vacation does. Speaking of rewards, you can get a Navy Federal Auto Loan and reward yourself with a new car. Applying is easy. You can do it on their mobile app, online, or by phone. And it's so fast, you can get a decision in seconds. 
Navy Federal Credit Union has great rates on auto loans. With their car buying service powered by TrueCar, you can shop, compare, and get upfront pricing on your next new or used car. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Nice. I like that. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, open to the armed forces, the DOD veterans, and their families. Flagship rates are variable and range between 10.74% and 18% APR based on credit worthiness. ATM fees for cash advances are up to $1 at non-Navy Federal ATMs. Credit and collateral subject to approval. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information and to apply. That's NavyFederal.org. Today's gear segment is sponsored by Schnees. And go to Schnees.com. Check out all they have going on. They have a ton of great things on their website. Uh, Check them out on Instagram. But today I want to talk about boots because I love everything that they have going on up there. But I probably have 10 different pairs of their boots. But I started with these right here, the granites. And I love these boots. I got my first elk in these. uh, Muzzleloader Hunt, New Mexico, about a decade ago. These are the exact same boots right here. So they have some miles on them. They have been to uh, Alaska after bear, wolf, uh, moose, and I just love these boots. So if I go into the backcountry and I have some weight on my back and I'm planning on coming out even a little heavier, then these are the boots that I take. I was wearing these in Kamchatka, Russia on a bear hunt where I went to do some research for Savage Sun. And for those of you who know Savage Sun, that's my third novel in the James Reese series. And uh, you know a lot of it takes place there. And then there's a little story that I fictionalized and dropped into Alaska in that uh, in that story near kind of closer to the beginning. But these are the boots that I wore. Absolutely love these boots right here and love all the people at Schnee's and just can't say enough good things about them. But they are handcrafted in their Italian boot factory. That's right. You'll find no mass production machinery there. Just a team of world-class boot makers doing their thing. Schnee's only sells boots directly to you, the consumer. This means there is no middleman markup like other boot companies out there. That means that they can put higher emphasis on the materials that go into their boots and you get more boot for the money. Higher quality materials and more boot for the money. From the leathers to the tread, every Schnee's boot is made from the absolute finest materials available. Backed by Schnee's industry-leading customer service and support. If you have a question or need a solid boot recommendation for your hunt, give them a call. You'll actually get a person on the line who wears the boots and is ready to help. There are a lot of boots out there uh, in their lineup, so definitely give them a call. Let them know what you're going to be doing, and they can make a recommendation for you. When you shop at schnees.com, that is S-C-H-N-E-E-S.com, make sure you use the promo code JACK21. When you do, you'll get 10% off your pair of Schnee's boots and logo wear. Again, that is S-C-H-N-E-E-S.com, promo code JACK21. These handmade hunting boots usually sell out fast, so grab your pair today. Take care of your feet. Don't compromise. Upgrade to Schnee's today. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. All right, what do I have here? Well, I just had Congressman Mike Waltz on the podcast, 
former Army Special Forces soldier. And we did talk about some Hoot and Young right here. Look at this. They have all these different types of whiskeys. Uh, this one is a Zinfandel cask finish on this. Of course, uh, Norm Hooten from Delta Force. Shh, don't tell anybody. And here we go. Horse Soldier. So these guys just had Scotty Neal on the podcast recently, along with Mark Nooch on there as well. And these molds uh, for their bottles are made out of World Trade Center steel, which is really cool. You can go back and check out that podcast. But uh, I want to talk about these veteran-owned whiskey companies. I love when guys get out and find that next passion in life. And since we're talking about whiskey, have some launching here. Actually, it is launched by the time this podcast drops. Right here, bam, whiskey glasses. Finally, they've been in the works for a long time, and they've been in the works for a long time because they are awesome glasses. They are made from High West bottles. So right here, Park City, Utah, High West. Uh, these are cut off right here, sanded down, and they all come from these very limited, uh, very limited edition. So not too many of these are launching. I get a few each month, and you can find them right now on the website. But uh, High West, they make awesome stuff, and they are local right here. Uh, Midwinter Nights, oh, this is good stuff right here. But my go-to, if anyone was wondering, from High West, Rendezvous Rye, right here. Love this one. But uh, these bottles are nice. They are different. They are thick. You can use them as a weapon if need be. But here we are, the glasses on the website right now, super limited edition, and they are awesome. And you might need some coasters to go with those as well, leather ones. And right here, look at that. That's a pretty sweet coaster. All right. That's it for today. Enjoy your whiskey. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. Find out more about Mike Waltz at Mike Waltz, and that is W-A-L-T-Z dot com. And get his new children's book and all his children's books at bravebooks.com. You can follow him on social media, link from his website as well, and support his campaigns on his website. You can follow me at Jack Carr USA on the social channels, officialjackcar.com. That's the website. You can sign up for the newsletter there and click shop for the merch. And if you like this conversation, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next time, take care out there. Stay safe. Be strong. Keep fighting. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original, Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What are box you... do you fit in? Which exactly, box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy and, or right, right. An How, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.